Go out from your land, your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I'll curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, as I stand um, in your spot today, I thank you that you help me communicate clearly the burden that you put on my heart, the blessed burden that you put on my heart of, uh, of your scripture, your truth, and we know that it leads to life. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're able to take us wherever we are and whatever we need today and give us exactly that through your power, your grace, and through the working of your word that is itself alive and sharp and active and helpful to us. I thank you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. We are continuing as we talk about the soul. We've been several weeks now. Um, I think this is week number eight talking about the soul that we have one or we are one, right? God breathed into the man's nostrils and he became a soul alive. And it's important, just like quoted the Savior when he said, what does it profit someone if they gain the whole world yet lose their soul? And and I, I started out with some of the things that are important about our soul. We know that it's needy. We know that it needs it and it, it needs deeply. And one of the things that it needs is it needs a keeper. And he and his sovereignty has given us part of that task to keep our own soul. It says in Proverbs, guard your heart with all diligence because out of it flow the issues of life or out of it is the source of your life. It's the core of who you are and some of the things that it needs. It needs to hear truth from us, from our mouth into our ears, down into our heart. It needs to hear truth. We see it with the psalmist. Why so downcast? Oh, my soul, put your hope in God for I will yet praise him. It needs an anchor. And he has given us this living hope as an anchor for our souls, says in Hebrews. Our soul needs rest. And we get that through communion with him, which we also need. And then last week, our soul needs freedom. And it also needs the depth that we find in him because scripture would tell us that deep cries out for deep. Depth cries out for depth. And, and as we continue on learning about our soul, we're going to shift a little bit uh, to, to learn about some of the things that it can be tempted to follow outside of God Almighty. And if you remember back in May, we talked about idolatry when we're going through the book of Acts. And it said Paul went to Athens and, and he was uh, distressed when he saw the city was filled with idols. Uh, And we're going to learn about that. I told you we're going to come back to that because how can we care for something without first understanding it? We want to care for our soul. uh, And how can we do that without understanding the things that it's going to be tempted to follow outside of God? Now, when you hear idolatry, you may think of, you know, a temple in the jungle where people who, you know, are wearing like animal skins as clothes or bowing down before a statue of a monkey mixed with an eagle, you know, they're worshiping it. And while that's idolatry, that's not going to be idolatry as we know it. When we think of idolatry, we need to think about anything that is more fundamental than God in our life to our happiness, our meaning and our identity. 
Is there anything in our life that's more fundamental to our happiness, our meaning and our identity than God himself? And if there is, then that can be equal for us to idolatry, which is going to cause us problems. And we're going to get into that. But you can ask yourself the question, what is it that you want most? What is it that you want the most? The absolute most, what is it? And I understand we're complicated, right? We know we want lots of things. I want lots of things. I want this, I want that. We, we are complicated and it can be hard for us to peel through those layers and say, what is it that I want the most? But here's what we do know. There is something in that space for you. There is something that you want the absolute most and what we'll see as we go through this is that the even good things in life or especially good things in our life good things that God has given to us we can begin to look to them for things that only God can give us we begin to depend and rely on them for things that only God can give us and I'd quoted earlier and I'll repeat it earlier when we were talking about idolatry Uh, St. Augustine said, the essence of sin is disordered love. The essence of sin is disordered love or loving the wrong thing or loving something else more than God. Our loves get out of order and that's the beginnings of sin for us. So important thing for us to look at. And today we're going to start this stretch as we talk about idolatry or all the Uh, false harbors or refuges that our heart can try to shelter itself in. We're going to start the conversation with the story of Abraham. And now listen, the story of Abraham in scripture is a huge story. It goes from Genesis 12 to Genesis 25. And it's, it's, I really want to just get down in it and teach the whole thing just from start to finish. It would probably take a year. I don't know. But I would want to teach the whole thing and get way down in the details. That's what I want to do, but that's not what I'm going to do. I can't do that. Not right now. We don't have the time. I can't teach the whole thing. But what I want to do is teach you an important thing. I want to teach you an important thing out of this story, because what we're going to see as we look at this today is that getting what you want the most can be a dangerous thing. Getting what you want the most, because again, there's something that we want the most. What is it? You've got to ask yourself that because it's going to be different. There's something that we want the most. And this story is going to show us that getting that can be a dangerous thing. And we not think that, right? We'd not think that. that what, if I get what I want the most, how can that be dangerous? But in fact, it might be the worst thing to ever happen to you. It might be the worst thing that would ever happen to us. And we'll get to that. So here you have Abraham. I'll try to give you a little bit of context, a little bit of the story. Abraham called by God. That's what I read. The Lord said to Abraham, come out from your family, come out from your land. And he made him a promise. He said, I will bless you. I'll make you a great nation. I'll make your name great. You will be a blessing. I'll bless those that bless you, curse those that treat you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And what God was doing was calling Abraham out from where he was into the land that he would 
show him, calling him from where he was to where he was supposed to be ordained by God the Father. And he listened to what God said, and then he and his wife, Sarah, or Sarah, obeyed. They obeyed. He went out from where he was with his wife, took his nephew with him too, to where God had called him to be. Now, Abram, Abraham and Sarah, they didn't have any children. She couldn't conceive. But again, they take his nephew Lot and they go to Canaan. And when they get to Canaan, there's a famine in the land. You know, sometimes God calls you into a direction. You get headed that direction. And what happens? You run into some difficulty. Right. He ran into some difficulty, which caused him to go to Egypt. And there was a lot of drama that went on in Egypt. What you're going to see as we go through this is that Abraham was a man of action. He did stuff. He did things, sometimes the right thing, sometimes the wrong thing, sometimes a good thing, sometimes a mistake. But he was doing things. You'll see that. And that, that's the nature of action. We're not perfect when we're doing things. We're going to mess up. We're going to pick the wrong piece. We're going we're gonna to step off in the wrong path. We're going to take something into our own hands that we should have left in God's hands. And you see that in the story of Abraham. But yet he continues following God. And some of these stories, it's like the wild, wild west out there between when he's in Egypt and then he goes back to Canaan. I told you he took his nephew with him. His nephew ends up getting kidnapped by an army of four kings. That sounds interesting, doesn't it? We're not talking about it today. But they attacked the city that he lived in and they took him away as a slave. And then Abraham, again, a man who does stuff, takes 318 fighting men that were raised up in his house. See, his house has started to get built out a little bit as he's gone along through these chapters as the Lord is blessed. He's got 318 fighting men in his house and he goes with his men and he sets upon the army of the four kings at night. He ambushes them. He defeats them. He gets his nephew back and he gets all of their stuff and he takes it back to the city where it was stolen from and he gives everything back. And they were like, well, you should have kept some of that. Like you won the fight. You, you whipped the army of the four kings. You should have kept some of this. And he said, I don't want any of y'all to be able to say that you made me rich. I don't any, want any of y'all to be able to say that this came from you. My blessings come from the Lord. Right. Again, amazing stories. And we don't have a lot. And we're not going to go into any of that today. But you have Abram, Abraham, which we kind of want to talk about that. How his name changed. He was a man of action and he kept thinking on God's promise. Even after this happened with his nephew and he whipped the armies of the four kings. He was thinking about God's promise that God would make him a great nation, that God would bless him, that God would make his name great and that he would be a blessing to all peoples on the earth. Right. That's what God said. But something was still eating at him. Even though things were going well, something was eating at Abraham so much so that he told God about it. In chapter 15, it says after these events, which ones? The ones I just told you about with the nephew and the army of the four kings. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision and said, don't be afraid. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. That sounds good, right? But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? 
Abram continued, look, you have given me no offspring. So a slave born in my house will be my heir. He said, this has been eating at me. You said you're going to bless me. You said you're going to do good things for me. Y'all don't even have any kids. I don't even have anybody that I can leave this stuff that you've blessed me with. I don't have anybody I can leave it to. See, for Abraham, this was a missing piece. And it was different then than it is now. It was especially important then when they would have offspring. When there would be a firstborn son in the house. It's seen as so, so important. You can even think just from our perspective today. Imagine if after we left here today, you had to walk away from everything that you had and that you know. Every person, everything that you don't get to go back to your house, you don't get to go back to your vehicle, you don't have any of your things, you lose all of your relationships, anybody that you were connected to, you don't even get to keep the clothes on your back, you walk away from everything. Every single thing. That's how Abraham saw the end of his life. He's like, I have all of this, but what I'm just going to have to walk. I'm, I'm getting older. I'm just going to walk away from all of it. I'm not going to have any of it anymore. And who's he going to go to? This guy who just grew up in my house, like the oldest one who grew up in my house. He's not even kin to me. He's just been here for a long time. Eliezer of Damascus is going to inherit everything. God, I don't have... I don't have anybody to carry this on because what you need to understand in their culture, the firstborn son was the one who inherited the majority of the estate. And the purpose of that was so the estate wasn't divided up too much and the family would lose their position in the society. In the culture that they would maintain their position. And he's like, I'm you called me out here and I'm going to I'm basically losing everything every day that I get older. And it was eating away at him. Because he sees himself having to walk away from everything. I'm talking about the food in your pantry, the money in your bank account, everything just walking away from it. That was how it felt in his heart and his mind. And he hears the Lord say, don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'm your shield. Your reward will be very great. And his response was, what can you give me? Because I don't even have a kid. See, sometimes we can get so focused on what it is that we don't have. We diminish what God has already done. And what he has yet promised to do. Right. He had promised Abraham a whole lot. And Abraham's like, it doesn't mean anything because you haven't given me this or you've withheld this for me. You haven't done rightly by me. See, again, Abraham, man of action, wasn't always the right one. But he got it a little bit twisted. We can get it twisted sometimes, too. He says, Lord, what can you give me since I'm childless? Whatever you do, I won't be happy. It won't be Right. And this can kind of be a little idle detection for us. What is it in your life that you would fill in the blank of saying life only has meaning and I only have worth if. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if. And we're like, well, I would never say that about a bunch of things. But, but we live our life in such a way that if we don't have 
if I don't have this type of relationship, then my life doesn't have meaning and I don't have worth. If I don't have at least this much security financially, then I don't have meaning and my life doesn't have worth. If I'm not at least recognized at this level, either in my profession or what I can do, if I'm not respected by this group of people, then my life doesn't have meaning and I don't have worth. And again, we wouldn't say that out loud, but we think it in our hearts and we turn it over in our soul and we say like Abraham, you've given me all this, but you haven't given me that one thing. That one thing that I've identified my life's meaning and worth with. And for him, it was a son, an heir, which, listen, is a good thing. He didn't. He wasn't asking for something sinful. He was asking for a good thing, a good thing to desire after. But the problem is the good thing had become an ultimate thing for him. The good thing had become an ultimate thing for Abraham. Now, the Lord responded. Aren't you thankful that even when we pop off and say something like that, that he'll still talk to us? But he doesn't just go, you, are you serious right now? I gave you 318 million. You whooped the four kings. You're doing everything's going really well. And you gonna fuss at me about this. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He responds to him in verse four. He says, now the word came to him and said, this one will not be your heir. Who? Eliezer of Damascus, the one he was popping off about. This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. And he took him outside and he said, look at the sky and count the stars. If you are able to count them, then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. Your kids, your family will be that numerous. And it says he believed the Lord. And he credited it to him. The Lord credited it to him as righteousness. And so he makes him this promise and he believed the promise. Now, his wife, not so much. When she heard it, she laughed. She laughed and said, I'm old now. I didn't even I couldn't bury my child when I was younger. And now I'm old. And now I'm going to have a child when he's older and I'm older. Now we're going to have a child. Now delight is going to return to us. And again, a whole lot goes into the story. But but she laughed when she heard it. But God had made a promise. And when God makes a promise, he brings it about. Now, that was in chapter 15 when he made the promise. You have to turn all the way over to chapter 21 when the promise came to pass. Again, it's a big story for Abram. I mean, you talk about this begins in what chapter 12 and there was only 12 chapters before then. And the whole beginning of the story of Genesis, it covered so much. And then Abraham's story takes up from 12 all the way to chapter 25. His, his life story here, there's a lot to it and there's so much we can learn from. And you may even say, you're skipping over so much stuff and it's just because I don't have time. We will go back there at some point. But the son of promise is born in chapter 21 and verse 1. The Lord came to Sarah as he said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the appointed time, God had told him. Abraham named his son who was born to him, the one Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, right? Because she laughed when she heard it. 
and everyone who hears will laugh with me. She also said, who would have told Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne a son for him in my old age. So she, she, she was kind of in on the joke. I laughed when you said that, God, and I'm going to name him Isaac, which means laughter. And so when other people hear this story, they may giggle about it, too. Here's this older lady who's got a really old husband, and she's had a baby. As the Lord had promised, he brought it about. Things are going great. That one thing that he wanted, this is it. Isaac is here. The heir is here. This is how it's going to happen. And then a few years later, something interesting happened. In chapter 22, in chapter 22, there in Genesis, Abraham receives a command from God that seems very, very, very strange to our ears. Chapter 22, verse one, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am. He answered verse two, take your son, he said, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So he said, Abraham, yes, Lord, here I am. Here's what I want you to do. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, take him up in the Moriah Mountains, and I want you to sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the, on the mountain that I will tell you about. Sacrifice his son. And this, he's, not, he's not a baby. He's grown up some at this point. This is years later. He says, I want you to sacrifice him as a burnt offering. And again, Isaac in Abraham's sight was everything. It was what had always gnawed at him. It was always what was missing, right? This is it. And he's the firstborn. You know, it, it's not just... Uh, in their culture, personal success meant a certain amount, but they were much more focused on the success of the whole brood, of the whole family. And this is the future, the success of his family. And God is calling for his life. God is saying his life is forfeit. It belongs to me. I want you to bring it to me. As what? As payment. As a payment, Abraham would have heard that his life, the life of Isaac, was forfeit because of the sins of the family. Isaac's life is forfeit because of the sin of the family. And he didn't say, hey, go over to Isaac's tent and just put his lights out. Just go ahead and murder him real quick. He didn't say that. He said, bring him onto the mountaintop as a burnt offering. Abraham would have heard, he's calling in my debt. He's calling in what I owe him. My son's life is forfeit because of me. And we'll get down to it. Why else would he have gone? Why else would he have done it? Let's read it. Let's read it a little bit. Verse three. You know, God tells him, bring him to the mountain. There you're going to sacrifice him as a burnt offering. Verse three. So Abraham got up early in the morning saddled his donkey and took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go there to worship. Then we'll come back to you. 
Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand, he took the fire and the knife and the two of them walked together. Then Isaac spoke to his father, Abraham, and said, my father. And he replied, here I am, my son. Isaac said, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. So how is Abraham processing all this? He, he's he's got to be thinking, okay, God is holy. Uh, and because of our sin, Isaac's life is forfeit, but, but he's also gracious. He promised him, he, he promised him to me. He promised this. What is going on? How can God be both holy and gracious? And I got to think he didn't know. He didn't know all of the answers to what was going on, but yet he went in obedience to what God had said. Remember, this is a man who does stuff. He's a man of action. And, and look at what he told his servants. He said, stay here with the donkey. Once I got, I guess, got to the point where the donkey couldn't traverse it anymore. Stay here with the donkey. We don't want to lose the donkey. The boy and I are going to go over yonder and we're going to worship. And then we are going to come back. He said, we are going to come back. So he's got some type of expectation that God promised this. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but here's what I believe is that we're coming back. I know I'm going over there and I know I'm being obedient, but I do believe we're coming back. And when the boy asked him and it's a little awkward. Hey, dad. Yes, son. I know we're going over here to make a sacrifice, but where's the lamb? We've got the wood. We've got the fire. Where's the lamb? And what did he say? Son, the Lord will provide. God will Provide, And he wouldn't have gone if he thought that it was crazy. He wouldn't have gone if he thought that it was crazy. If he thought that it was unfair, he wouldn't have gone. Would you have gone? No. You wouldn't have gone if you thought it was crazy. You wouldn't have gone if you thought that it was unfair. And if he had doubted in God's grace and in his goodness, he would have been too crushed to, to go. If he had doubted that God was good, he would have just been like, you're just going to kill me right here. I don't even know what you're talking about, right? How, how can God be good in this? If he had doubted God's goodness, he wouldn't have gone. If he had thought it was unfair, he would have been too angry to go. But he went. He went. When they arrived, verse 9, at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. Verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham. And he replied, here I am. Verse 12. Then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your only son from me. And Abraham looked up. And saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham named that place the Lord will provide. So today it is said it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. It will be provided on the Lord's mountain. And again, this story is bananas to us. It just is, right? It, it just 
is. What is this all about? And we're going to talk about two things. One, I think that would have been clear to Abraham at that point and one that wouldn't have been clear to him uh, at that point, but that we can look back at now. Okay, so the first thing is that this was a test about loving God supremely. This was a test about loving God above all other things, obeying him above all other things. How do we know that? It, it, the angel of the Lord says, don't, don't, don't kill him. Now I know. Now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your only son from me. And fear God doesn't mean afraid of him. Doesn't mean like I have a phobia of him. It means awe and respect that leads to obedience. It even means that you love the Lord above all else. That you have placed him in the supreme position in your life. And that you love him more than anything. So was God, be, was God putting Abraham through a test like, I'm going to find out if you really love me. Kill that boy. Kill him. No. Because why? We know from reading the whole book that God can see all the way into our heart. God knew how much Abraham loved him or didn't love him. God knew every aspect of him. He didn't have to put him to a test to find it out. So what was he doing? I believe it was two things. I believe that he was refining Abraham for what was going to come next. And I believe he was pointing out to Abraham the potential idolatry in his own life. He was refining him how Abraham loved his son, loved him and likely would have come to love him more than anything else in the whole world. If he hadn't already, if he hadn't already putting him above everything Else, Remember, what's more fundamental to my life's meaning, my joy and my validation? That's what's at the very top. And for Abraham, it was likely Isaac. He would have come to love him or had come to love him more than anything else in the world. And when we look at it this way, God's treatment here, the way God does this in this story is actually extremely merciful. He is being extremely kind. And Merciful, like, really kind? He had him go up there thinking he was going to kill him. Extremely merciful. Because look, see, Isaac was a gift, but he was a gift from God that wasn't safe for Abraham until he was willing to put God first. God's gifts aren't safe for us if he's not God. If they become God in our life, they are no longer safe for us. If his gifts, the good things in life, if they supersede him for us in our heart, our soul, our core, it is a dangerous thing for our life. And until he had to choose, he wouldn't have seen his idolatry until it was too late. God forced a choice in front of him so that Abraham could see where his heart was and where his heart was not. Again, getting what you want. Think about whatever it is you want most, whatever it is you think is going to put you to right, whatever you think it is that's going to make you feel better, whatever you think it is that's going to make you feel secure and safe and happy, whatever it is, if it's not him, you could get it twice and it wouldn't be enough. You could get it twice, three times, ten times. It would not be enough. I promise. I've seen it over and over and over and over. I've seen people double, triple, quadruple their income and their life fall apart. And they thought, if I could just have that much money, everything will be all right. And it got worse. Why? Because sometimes getting what it is you want most is the most dangerous thing in the world for you.
So for Abraham, how is that if his son became ultimate? Well, either you're going to over discipline him because he has to be perfect. Why? Because he's my only hope. You're going to over discipline him. You're going to be overbearing with him. You're going to put too much expectation on him and he's going to be crushed under the weight of it. Or because he is the greatest, the best, the most awesome thing ever, you're going to under discipline him and you're going to cause him to just be terrible the rest of his life because you didn't put to him what needed to be put to him because you were afraid of losing him because he was your ultimate. And you see both of those situations result in so much angst and problems for a father like Abraham because our idols will always break our hearts. They have to. It's the only thing they can do because they can't give to us what we're asking from them. And so they break our hearts instead. They will always break our hearts. So we shouldn't love our kids. Of course, you should love your kids. As we said, you should love them bunches. You should love him a whole bunch. You just shouldn't love him ultimately above him. And what you figure out is when he's number one and you love them underneath that, you actually love them more than when you put them up at the top. And it's not just our kids. It's anything else. Anything else. So that's the first thing that Abraham could have seen right then. God, you're pointing out idolatry in my life. You're pointing out that I had made him the ultimate and you were not the ultimate. The second thing that he wouldn't have seen, that he wouldn't have known that this was pointing to. And I won't spend a lot of time on it because I really want to get to this. But this is obviously a big part of the story. In those same mountains. Many years later, there would be another son stretched out on the wood to give his life as a sacrifice to give his life as a sacrifice that the Lord would provide on that same, in that same range of mountains, same place, Jesus is crucified. Just like Isaac had to wear the wood for the sacrifice on his own back, climbing up the hill, what did Jesus do? He carried his cross, the wood for the sacrifice on his back. See, that's how God could overlook. Abraham was a sinful man, just like we're sinful people. How could God overlook Abraham's sin? Because there would come a day in the fullness of his time that another would stretch out on the wood and bear the weight of that sin debt. That the price would be paid, that God would be holy and gracious. As scripture says, he would be just and the justifier of many. That's in Romans. It says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him freely for us. What did the angel of the Lord say to Abraham? You didn't withhold your son from me. Now I know that you love God. We can say you didn't withhold your son from us. Now I know that you love me because you demonstrated your love when Christ was crucified for my sin, when he gave himself up for me. We know that he loves us because he demonstrated it. So what about our idols? What about our Isaacs, the good things in our life that we've made ultimate right things? I'm not talking about sinful stuff. We we can talk about that as a whole separate subject. I'm talking about good things that we have made ultimate or that we have made God in our life. 
that we've made too much of. Maybe there are things that we've already got in hand that we're trying to protect, that we're trying to keep safe. Or maybe there are things that are still afar off that we're looking to, to say, when I get there, when I become this, when I finally achieve this, when I finally reach this, then I'm happy, then I'm safe, then I have joy, then I have security. That's our idols. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if... And the only answer, the only good and right answer to that question is if I'm found in union with Christ Jesus. Because I didn't do anything to get in that union except believe. Just like Abraham believed God's promise, it was accounted to him for righteousness. I believe if I'm in union with Christ, then my life has meaning and I have worth. And it doesn't matter if I have to walk, when we we said walk away from everything else, if I lost everything else, every single thing, My life still has meaning and I still have worth. And that's the only position in which I have meaning and it has worth. And we rest our hearts, our souls in him for our significance and in him for our security and in him for everything that we need. We rest in him and we don't have to strive with all of these idols to try to keep them up. Because as we go through this, we're going to talk about it. And just like we saw in Athens, they were having to keep their own idols, their own gods propped up. They're having to keep their own idols cleaned off. They're having to keep their own idols fed. And that's what you end up doing when you're serving lesser things. But when you're serving him, the sufficiency comes from him. And you're not bound by the insufficiency of all these little G gods that you could look to instead. We rest our hearts, our souls in him for our significance and our security. And and again, if our Isaacs, if the good gifts that God has given us or the good gifts that he has promised us become idols in our life, then we're going to agonize over them. There's going to be anger and hurt and pain because they always break your heart. It's the only thing they can do. It's the only thing that they can do. Or we can be like Abraham. And we can walk into the mountains with them and we can trust the Lord. We say, God, thank you for this good and right gift that you've given me. I don't deserve, I don't deserve anything that you've given me. But you've done it through your grace. Help me not put any more on it than I should. Help me to be okay with laying it down before you and go, you're always more important than this. You are always first ahead of this. Doesn't mean I don't love this. Doesn't mean I don't love this person. Cherish them. That's not what I'm talking about. But they're not above him. Never above him. And we can tell ourselves, I didn't think I could live without this, but in you I can. I, I can because in you I find everything that I need. And look, it was probably really painful for Abraham in those moments, don't you think? Probably felt like God was killing him. Probably really hard on him. But in the end, what was he doing? He was saving him. He was saving him from idolatry. He was saving him from ultimate pain of making something, uh, something a little G God in his life that's not able to hold him. And when you talk about freedom, the freedom that comes from that to not be held by all these lesser things, but to rest and find my safety and my security in him and in him alone. The other thing I want to point out as we, as we wrap up, I think we're going to wrap up. I believe that Abraham was overlooking something. Because if you listen to the blessing that God spoke over him, he finished it with, 
all the peoples of the world will be blessed through you. All the peoples on earth are going to be blessed through you. And the ultimate part of that was that Christ was going to come from that line of that, that special people. This is, this is how I'm going to introduce the Messiah into the world. But when Abraham was fussing with God, he didn't say anything about any of those people, did he? He said, how you, it don't matter what you give me if you haven't given me this. He wasn't worried about anybody else, was he? Just himself. But the line was, through you, I'm going to bless other people. Through you, I'm going to bless other people. All the peoples of the world are going to be blessed through you. And again, he meant through Jesus. But here's what I'll tell you. With Christ in us, he wants to bless other people through you. And if we're less concerned with what we have and what we don't have and more concerned with that latter part of the blessing. Think about how much more we're going to accomplish. Again, Abraham was doing stuff. He was doing stuff. And he didn't always do it the right way. He made a lot of mistakes. And one day we'll walk through and we'll, we'll learn a lot from the life and the story of Abraham. But he was doing stuff, but he lost sight for at least a little while of the latter part of that blessing. Abraham, I'm, I'm blessing you so that through you it'll be a blessing to so many others. So many Others, you know, I've I've been spending a little bit of time reflecting, right? You close in on these decade birthdays and you reflect a lot more. And again, you know, I've talked with people. It's not any different than yesterday or tomorrow as far as a day. But it also is right because you have times in your life where it's easier to look up. To look up, look back, look up, look around and look up and look forward. And to think questions like this, have I put anything above you? Uh, like we talked about earlier in the soul series, what, am, what is it that I'm becoming? Not just who am I right now? Who did I used to be? What is it that I'm becoming? And it's a unique time for me. And I'll tell you this, and, and it's, it's a little bit personal and that's fine. And it, it started with a video that I saw. You know how you're doing. Flipping through. Show me something great. Show me something great. Well, God used it to show me something. And it was a video that a young lady had recorded. And she probably shouldn't have recorded it. She shouldn't have recorded it. Uh, but she did, because that's what young people do. Uh, but she shouldn't have recorded it because it was a private family moment. She's in the corner of a hospital room, like backed up in the corner. And standing next to her is her husband. They're probably in their early 20s, which is why they record everything. And standing in front of her husband is the man I assume to be his father. And he's got his hands on the shoulders of an elderly woman in front of him. His mama, right? And then there's a hospital bed laid out right there. And you can't see the person laying in the bed, but it's an older man. You just see the top of his head. And sitting on the bed is a, is, is a woman who's older in age herself, likely his daughter. Right. Sitting next to her, a man her age, either her husband or another brother. And, and, and the room. One of the larger hospital rooms. Right. The room and around this bed is just filled up with like 25 people, 
25 people probably more in this room and they're all different ages and looking at it you can kind of tell who's who right you can kind of tell okay this is a man and his wife the man's in the bed and this is his wife and these are their kids and these are their kids you, know, you got people there in their uh 20s and 30s and then you've got younger kids there you know 8 9 10 11 12 years old and they're all standing around this bed and again she shouldn't have recorded this but she did and they're all standing around and this man's obviously approaching the end of his life and he's approaching it with hope and they're approaching it with hope. And you know that because they're all singing together. They're all singing all my life. You have been faithful. All my life. You have been so, so good. And with every breath that I'm able, I'll sing of the goodness of God. I'll sing of the goodness of God and he's he's having to walk away from everything. Everything that he had, that he owned, that he built, he's walking away from it, but he's surrounded by all of these people and they're singing some of them with their hands raised and you know half of them are crying and half of them don't know what to say and I'm just looking at this and I watched it. I don't know how many times I watched it. She shouldn't have recorded it, but she did. Now I'm glad cuz I got to watch it. And it just put on my heart this through through you. I'm going to bless other people. See, they weren't showing up around the bed. Go, All right. When's he gone? Can I get more of my money? When do I get what what's mine? Right. I was looking at it saying his life was spent for these folks. For them. And he put God first because they're putting God first right now. Where would they learn that? Where would they have learned that if not from somebody else, somebody who came ahead, somebody who was out leading the way, somebody who was out doing the kind of stuff Abraham was doing, taking action, doing something. Maybe making mistakes, but I'm doing something. I make mistakes when I do stuff, but I'm going to err on the side of doing stuff. It's time to do something because there's other people that are going to be blessed through the things that you do. And for me, for my heart, it was just like, God, I don't know how long I've got. I don't know. I'm not granted. I'm not granted tomorrow. I'm not granted this afternoon. But as many as you'll give me, if you'll give me, I just want to fill that room up. That's what I want to do. I want to fill it up. Not so it can be like, ah, look what Stephen is like. That way more people are going to see that it's you above everything else. And it's you above everything else. There were some of them in that room didn't know what they were going to do. They're like, he's always been here. What am I going to do? And the answer is going to be, I'm going to trust in the one that he was trusting in. I'm going to trust in the one. And that's where Abraham's kids learned it from. Because you know what? They stayed. Did they always do what was right? No. But they did the things that needed to be done. Listen, I'm going to tell you, there's some things that God has called you and blessed you to do. And it's not for you. It's not for you. It's for them. It's for the others that are going to fill that room up around you. It's for them. He said, through you, I'm going to bless other people. And he lost sight of it early on. And I think he picked back up on it later in his life. He's like, I got it now. I got it now because I'm going to go to rest with my fathers. I'm not going to see the stars in the sky. He died with just one son. But God told him, I'm going to multiply you and there's going to be more than the stars in the heavens. And guess what? Naturally and spiritually, God fulfilled it 
probably fulfilled it a thousand times over. I don't want to linger any longer. I've gone too long. But he told him, all the peoples of the world will be blessed through you because you put me first, because you belong to me. And when we get into idolatry, it's looking at ourselves, putting ourselves first. What am I going to get? How am I going to be taken care of? Who's going to serve me? Who's going to make me feel safe? Who's going to make me feel secure? And God's saying, you get all that from me. And it's in that freedom that you can go out and love others. You know what? Because then I'm not crushed if they don't love me back. I'm not crushed if they're ugly to me. I'm not crushed if I give them something and they take it for granted. It doesn't wear me out. It doesn't end me. It doesn't hurt. It may hurt me, but it's not going to be my ultimate demise. Why? Because they're not my God. He is. And he's the only one. When, when that man was laying in that bed, couldn't anybody else in there do anything for him? Nobody else in that room could do anything for him for what was about to happen. Nobody. Except the one who took the wood on his back and carried it up the hill for us. That's the only one. And that's the only one that can do anything of worth and of meaning for you today. He's big enough to hold you. Go out and bless others. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for helping me get through that for the first thing. Thank you for helping me get through that. Thank you for what you've been teaching and showing me. And I thank you, Lord, that we will all see that you're big enough to hold us, that we don't have to give our ultimate love and affection to any. We don't want them to hold it. We don't want them to have it. God, don't don't leave us. Hand us over to the things that we've put in your place. God, lead us to repentance first. Lead us to the place of testing like Abraham so that we can see when there's something in our life that needs to be broken off so that you can be ultimate. So that there's something in our life that needs to be reordered so that you are always our best and our first and our ultimate. That you alone are supreme because you're the only one that can hold that spot. Everything else, we're going to have to keep in it and it's going to tear us apart to do it. Help us see where the things we want most have gotten out of order. And help us to see that you're the only one that can fill it. And God, help us much more to see that you've got a plan and a purpose for us. That you have given us a a space in your family and your kingdom to go out and bless others in your name. Not, Not to make our name great, but to make your name great. Just like Abraham said, I don't want anybody else taking credit for what you're doing. I don't want anybody else to take credit for what you're doing. I'm going to lift you up so that they'll see and glorify you too. And God, help us to fill our own room up. Help us to fill our own room up with people who have received from you through the meager means and and abilities that we have. That you're able to take that and bless it and prosper it so that it blesses others. And you're able to carry it from generation to generation till long after we rest in the grave, people are carrying on with the blessings of the Lord because we know that you've been faithful. We know that you've been so good and you have been so good to us. In Jesus' name.